So in our Bibles tonight, if you would, to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 12, Hebrews chapter number 12. I'm going to use an old phrase that my preacher used to use. He said, the more you amen, the quicker we get out of here. And so the more you amen, the quicker we get out of here, right? If I don't hear too many amens, I'm just going to have to start over and, and uh, re-preach the message, but uh, I'm teasing with you. Hebrews chapter number 12. I was actually blessed because Pastor Fisher tonight is actually preaching at our church, and so I caught a little bit of it before I came and just tried to listen to my preacher. And uh, if, you've, if you've had a preacher for a long period of time, you know how that feels, getting to hear him again, and, and so it excited me just to hear his voice again behind the pulpit. But um, continue to pray for Pastor Fisher. Like I said, he's, he's definitely uh, coming back by the, Lord's, by the hand of God. It really is a miracle. Because uh, he, at one point, and he'll tell you this, this is not something, I'm not trying to be funny, being serious, at one point he didn't even know his name. And, uh, and now he's preaching with, uh, with, uh, with confidence of the Lord, with truth. And so I know your church prayed and your pastor prayed and, and of course we prayed as well. And so it's, a, it's an answer to prayer. So Hebrews chapter number 12 tonight. And uh, let's read this together. We're going to read verse 1. The Bible says this, ready, begin. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Tonight, I'd like to talk to you on this subject, a case for the race, a case for the race. Father, we need your help tonight. I've never been able to preach without you. And Lord, there's been times I have, and it's been hard. Lord, I don't want to do that tonight. I want to preach with you. I want to be your vessel. I want to be your conduit. And I pray that you'd help me tonight. Lord, it's not for me. It's not for me to look however. It's for you to be able to minister to the people of Grace Baptist Church. And I pray that you'd help me to do so tonight, please. Precious Jesus, help us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul the Apostle, who many believe wrote Hebrews, is writing to a group of Christians. And he's giving what I would call a case. And I'll explain to what that means in a minute. But in verse number one, he says, wherefore, and we'll get, go back to the chapter 11 in a second here, because like my old principal used to say, when you see a wherefore, you have to ask, you have to ask what's the wherefore therefore? And uh, he's saying, based on what I said in chapter 11, now I'm going to give you a command in chapter 12. And we'll look at that in a minute. But he says, wherefore, seeing we also are com- compassed or compassed, we're surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh, That word witness is a law term. It literally means somebody who would stand up to testify. Uh, If you were on, uh, if you experienced charges, criminal charges, or uh, any type of charges, and they wanted to prove that you did it, they would use witnesses to testify against you. Uh, And what Paul is saying here, he's saying there are a witnesses, there are testimonies who testify literally against us. Uh, What do you mean against us, Brother Abe? The the scripture continues on. A cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And here it is. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Can we be honest this afternoon, this night, that the Christian life is not an easy race to run? Amen. The Christian life is not an easy race to run. It is a difficult, 
sometimes race to run. But I love the imagery that Paul gives when he refers to it as a race. How many of you enjoy running? You enjoy running. Okay, just one. I expect that. Two. All right. What I like to say is only those who are crazy enjoy running. And so it's, it's none of us like doing it. Right? You put your shoes on, you start getting out there, and immediately your heart starts beating really fast. You think, I'm going to have a heart attack. I've got to slow down. You start sweating. You start feeling like, man, I'm going to pass out. I don't like this. Why did I do this? There's actually very few people who enjoy running. The most of us don't enjoy running. And so what Paul uses, he uses that illustration. He says the Christian life is like a race that you have to run. It's difficult. It's challenging. It takes your breath away. And if you're like me, you may start January 1 and say, hey, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to run the race, right? I'm going to get on a treadmill. And that by January 15th, you're thinking not so much, right? And he says, listen, for those of you who've started your race, for those of you who have begun running your race and have decided to take a seat, he says, I'm going to have some folks testify against you. In other words, he's going to say, I'm going to present to you a case for the race. I'm going to present to you why you need to run the race. That's why he starts off with wherefore. Because of the testimonies given in chapter 11, wherefore, I have the right to ask you to run your race. Tonight, I'm going to address those of us who've gone through different trials. Those of us who have had an excuse or had a reason, and can we all be honest, that there are times in our life that we have an excuse or reason not to run our race. And and can I be transparent with you? I would join you on the bench. I would join you sometimes to say, yes, you're right. This is too difficult. This is too hard. This is too challenging. I can't run my race. Unfortunately, there are those people who've gone before us and have run the race with much harder circumstances and completed their race. And that's what Paul's going to turn, uh, going to exhibit for us tonight. And so now turn to you one chapter ahead, go one chapter back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I have the great joy of counseling couples, and I had one particular couple that no matter what they could do, no matter what they did, they couldn't have children. They prayed, they fasted, they got anointed with oil, but God just wouldn't give them children. And I remember them sitting in my office, and really the, 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 the lady there was just crying in tears and saying, man, we want to have children so bad for as we can, and I don't understand why God won't let us have children. And you look at a situation like that, and you're thinking, man, and they're thinking like, like they kind of have something against God. God, why aren't you allowing us to have kids? And sometimes those feelings can create animosity towards God. God, God why aren't you allowing that? Uh, I was with a, another couple who, who was tried to work through couples counseling, and, and uh, the husband would say, we haven't actually slept in the same room for five or six years now, and, and she just doesn't like me, and she doesn't want to be around me, and, and, but he's in tears crying in my office. He says, I've prayed that God would change things, and I fasted that God would change things. It seems like nothing has changed. And I sit across from that man, and I, and I tremble at the fact that he still has a race to run. Uh, we have a man in our church who his wife many years ago just one day woke up and she couldn't talk. She couldn't speak. She ate, but she, she literally became a vegetable. 
The doctors ran tests on her. The doctors couldn't find a thing wrong with her. They didn't know what was happening with her. But now that man, for 20 years, the other day, I was in his, in his living room, and I remember he looked at me, and he said, please pray for my wife. I believe God is going to heal her. And can I be honest, as a preacher, as a pastor, I'm looking at 20 years have passed by, brother, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better. I'm not saying those things, but that's what my heart's saying. But here's a man, 20 years, and he, he takes care of his wife every morning. He's faithful to her, and he loves her. And I'm thinking, man, how is this man running his race? Can we just be honest this morning? Life, this afternoon, life presents things that are very difficult to swallow. You have them too. A wayward child, a situation that turned, didn't turn out the way you thought it would. Things went sour. And here's where we can think, I don't have a, a good reason to run my race. And we have, what Paul would do for us tonight, he would take one individual after another that would testify against us, or could I say it this way, would encourage and exhort us to run our race. Like who, Brother Abe? Look at Hebrews chapter 11. And let's read verse number four together. Ready? Begin. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. You know, if I, was, if I was making a case for somebody to run the race, I'd start off with one of the big hitters. You know, like a Noah, or like an Abraham, or like a Joseph, or like a David. Let me bring David up here and let him testify about the goodness of God. Let me tell you about how he went through difficulties and challenges, but that's not what Paul does. Paul starts off with one of the most, what I would say, or what you and I would say as they look at the Bible, one of the most insignificant characters in the Bible. Abel? Do you know how short a time of life Abel? You know the story of Abel, many of you do, but Abel is given by God direction that he's supposed to offer a sacrifice. He takes a lamb in his young life. He, he must have been a young adult, and he takes his lamb, and he brings it before God, and he sacrifices it, and Cain gets angry at him and kills Abel, and that's the end of his life. One action, one sacrifice before God, and that's it. And to, to me, I would think, God, why would you put somebody so insignificant? Paul, why are you bringing Abel before the stand and having him witness for us? What's the purpose of that? Because God is declaring to those of us who look at the race that is set before us and think, man, I just have a small part to do. You see, Abel didn't build an ark. Abel didn't leave his family and his mother and, and, and his family and go into a distant country like Abraham did. Uh, Abel didn't lead a, a, a whole nation like Joseph did. Abel simply took one act. He took his, his sacrifice, he presented it before God, and God took that little act and he says, listen, you may think that's insignificant, but I'm going to magnify it. You say, what is God trying to teach us as Abel's trying to speak to us? Why, why would we bring Abel? He's trying to speak to everybody in this room and here that would say, my race is insignificant because it's small. My race is insignificant because there's only a year or two years left in my race. He would look at somebody who maybe is a little older in life and says, man, I don't have that much time to live or I don't have that much time to go. What significance does one or two or five years make? And he would say, look at Abel who just did this one act. And then he says something amazing. Look what the Bible says in verse number four. He says, God testifying his gifts. And look at this. And by it, he being dead... What is those two words? Yet what? 
One more time, yet what? Speaketh. He says, Abel is dead. But here we are 2,000 plus years now from Abel's death. And do you know who we're talking about? Abel. And do you know why we're talking about Abel? Because God testifies of him. Here's what he says. He says to every person that looks at what they have and think, man, it's insignificant. He looks at a mom who just is day in and day out just raising kids and thinking, man, that's so insignificant. What value does it have? He says, hey, keep training those kids because I can use those kids for my glory. He looks at somebody who just shows up Sunday morning and Sunday night and they're a part of a small work at a small church. And he says, hey, I can take that little bit and I can make it significant. Something that is small, somebody who takes a gospel track every Thursday, or every time you go out soul winning and passes out that track, he says, watch what I can do with that little piece of work that you do. You see, so many of us, we get discouraged because we think, man, my part of the race is so insignificant. And God says, let me take that little part of your race and let me maximize it. You see, when God gets behind your life, he can amplify it. <laughs> we love the song, little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it. I forgot the rest of the line there. Yeah. He will not forget his own. I'll forget the verse, but he won't forgive me. God takes Abel and he says, watch me magnify Abel. He takes here the first man. He says, look at Abel. He's so insignificant. And yet God gets behind his offering and says, watch me work. You think, okay, are we past little things as we would declare them? Look at verse number five. Look what he says. Let's read this together. Ready? Begin. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him before his translation. He had this testimony that he pleased God. <laughs> what big thing did Enoch do? Matter of fact, the scripture says Enoch walked with God. Did Enoch build an ark? No. <laughs> did Enoch rule a country? No. What big thing did Enoch do? He walked with God. <laughs> if you're breathing in here, you know what you can do tomorrow? You can walk with God. You know, what, you know what we need in our churches more than anything? Listen, we need workers, we need laborers, but you know what we need more than anything? We need people who walk with God. Man, what would happen to the Grace Baptist Church if everybody in here says, man, I walked with God this morning. I fellowship with God. I prayed with him. I met with him. And it was miraculous. He uses Enoch because sometimes that's all we can do. Sometimes you get into a season of life and you can't, man, maybe you can't help out at the church or maybe physically you're not able to do things anymore, but you know what you can do? You can walk with God. There, there, was, a, there was a dear old lady uh, at our church and, uh, you know, old is relative, right? Old is 10 years older than what you are. That's what old is. We had this dear old lady, she was in her 80s and she couldn't come to church anymore. She couldn't even get out of the house and she would just watch online our services, and I remember every couple of weeks, she would send me a little text, and she would say, Brother Abe, I needed that message in my life. And I thought, here's an 80-year-old woman, can't get out of the house, listening to the message, and here's what, she, here's what she's trying to do. She's trying to walk with God. You know what else she was doing? Encouraging a preacher. <laughs> you know, there were times I'd come off the boat and think, man, that was a dud. 
And here comes this text from an 80-year-old woman. What am I saying tonight? I'm saying simply that when you look at your race, you may look at it and say, man, I don't have anything significant. I'm not a preacher. Maybe I'm not even an usher. I don't even really serve in the church. But you can walk with God. You can pray for the Grace Baptist Church. Hey, listen, I wonder how many pastors have stayed in the saddle because some little old lady or some older man or some person within the church said, hey, I'm going to pray for my pastor this morning. I'm going to pray that God strengthen him and God help him. And man, right at that moment, he didn't know it, but your prayers kept him going. You know, you would have no idea what a simple prayer for another church member would do. On a Monday morning, hey, God, would you please bless the Turner family? God, would you please bless Brother Grant? God, would you please just, just a prayer out to God? You know what he's saying? He's saying you have a run. You can't step aside. You may feel discouraged. You may feel down. You may feel bad. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this church thing anymore. I don't want to do this Christian anything anymore. I have nothing to offer. And God is simply saying to you, if you can walk with God, you've got something to offer. By faith, Enoch, please God. Who else does he give us as a testimony, as a case against us? Look at verse number six. Look at verse number six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And look who he uses next. Verse seven, let's read it together. Ready? Begin. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. <laughs> I love Noah. <laughs> here's, here's Noah. He goes home one day and uh, he tells Mrs. Noah, I talked to God, okay? He told me to do something. What did he tell you, Noah? He told me to build an ark. A what? An ark. A who? An ark. It's like a boat. What's a boat? Don't know. But God told me to build it. And for 120 years, Noah's building the ark and not one drop of rain. Ha! Matter of fact, the Bible says they mocked him. What you doing, Noah? <laughs> He's building the ark. But Noah's running his race. You know what Noah speaks to? He speaks to every person that says, I've served the Lord, but there's never fruit where I serve. No, 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 you don't understand. I've labored in this ministry and in this work. I've labored with these kids and with these children and I've poured into them and I've loved them. I've worked on this marriage. But listen, I've tried everything I can, but nothing changes. There is no fruit. And Noah would stand before you and here's what he would say. For 120 years, I took a hammer and I took a nail and I built and I built and year after year, there was sweat dripping down my face and there were times where I wanted to quit and I thought this rain thing is probably a hoax. I, why did I get into this? Why do I believe but I did not stop. And you know what happened after 120 years? After 120 years, I looked up in the sky and all of a sudden clouds started forming and I realized that it wasn't for naught, that I stepped out by faith and it was for something. You know what he's trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us for the person, maybe a mom and dad here who thinks, man, my children are older. They've gone away from God and I try to serve God so they would follow me. He's saying, keep serving God. You never know if your child will turn around. He's saying to the person that serves in a ministry and there's no fruit. He's saying, still serve God because God can produce fruit in that tree. He's saying to the couple who's tried couples counseling, who's prayed, who's fasted, who sees no change in their marriage. He's saying, keep on going because there's fruit to be had in the field. He's trying to encourage us to run the race that is set before us. 
Oh no, I can tell you that after 120 years of serving, it might have been difficult, it might have been hard, but man, once he hit 120 years of serving and the clouds started forming and the rain started coming, there was nobody more glad that Noah stayed with it than his family that day. Hey, can I say to every man in here to stay with it, to stay faithful, and there is nobody more happy when a, when a man in the, in the home stays faithful than his family. Stay faithful. Let us run the race that is set before us. God continued, Noah continued to build year after year, even though he saw no fruit. He continued to run his race. You see, as we see Abel in his little insignificant part, he would say, run the race. He would say his comment, and he would run, he'd say, run the race. We see Enoch who would stand up and say, I walked with God. Now you run the race, and he would leave the pulpit. We would see Noah who would get up and say, hey, I served for 120 years, and I didn't see God work, but that 121st year, man, I'm glad I ran my race. He say 120 years, he saw no fruit, but when those thunder clouds started to form, he was glad he served the Lord for 120 years. What are you saying tonight, Brother Abes? I'm saying don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. I'm saying keep on going. You may be discouraged. You may be down. You may think your work is insignificant, but God has a reason for you to plow in the field. Hebrews chapter 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with these so great of cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. What other witnesses does he have for us? Well, verse number 8, he has Abraham. My favorite character, by the way. Some of you will get that later. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for inheritance, obeyed. He went out not whither he went. God came to Abraham and said, Abe, and Abe said, yes, God. And Abe said, I want you to leave your father's house. You don't do that in Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, they would, you, would, you would stay in the same land, in the same area, and it would be passed on for generations to generations. And here God shows up to Abraham one day and says, you're going to leave the place that you're familiar with. And you're going to step out of your comfort zone. You know what God is saying? There are some folks in here that you're very comfortable. No, listen, can I, can I just put this out there? There's some folks in here that you would never go out and knock a door because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Now, there's those of us in the room that are extroverts, right? We like to talk to everybody, you know? You know who the extroverts are. They're the ones that, that shake everybody's hand. But then there's the others of us who are introverts, who don't even want to leave our pew, right? Who always are sitting way in the back, don't want anyone to talk to us. And the thought of telling somebody about Christ is like... And Abraham says, let me tell you about, I left my father and my mother... And God says, get up and go to a land that I will show thee, and I have to get out of my comfort zone. <laughs> I had to do something that I was uncomfortable with. I had to serve in a way that I never thought possible. What is he saying? He's saying some of us in here have decided we're not going to run the race because it's outside our comfort zone. Well, I would never do that. Oh, I would never say that. Well, that's not my personality. And God says, yeah, but my faith is bigger than your personality. My power is bigger than what you're able to do. And he says, look at Abraham who is willing to step out by faith and run his race, when everyone said, what are you doing, Abe? Why are you going out there? What is he saying? He's saying also with Abraham, the one who gave God control. Huh. You know what one thing we love? We love control. Control gives us comfort. 
You know what he tells Abe? Abe one day, God comes to Abe one day and says, Abe, not only are you going to go to a country that I will show you, you're going to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and take him up to the mount. And you're going to raise the knife and you're going to take your son's life. And Abe says, Lord, if that's what you want, I know you're able to raise him from the dead. And then the last minute he calls him and he says, Abraham, Abraham, don't kill your son. What are you saying tonight, preacher? I'm simply saying that there are folks that have gone before us who would testify against us and say, hey, there's a run to race. Abel would say, hey, there's a run to race. Enoch would say, there's a run to race. Abraham and Noah would say, there's a run to race. You don't have a reason. There will be a fruit for your labor one day. What other witness do we have? Keep reading the scriptures. Look what it says in verse number 11. Let's read this together. Ready? Begin. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. (laughs) You know who he brings to the stand next? Sarah. Oh, can you see it? A hundred. Here's Sarah (laughs) coming to the the stand. What is this lady going to say? She says, let me tell you about something that was impossible. (laughs) Those of you ladies who've bore children, and you bore them in your 20s and your 30s, and you were miserable, can you imagine bearing children in your 80s and 90s? It's impossible. Now listen, there's some folks in here where God, the race that's before you, that God wants you to run, it's impossible. God, you just don't understand, Brother Abe. We've tried everything. There, there are no finances. There, there is no way out. There is no answer. We've done all you can think. There is no solution, Abe. And Sarah would say, yes, there is. Because I serve the God of the impossible. Sarah would get before you and say, I was 90-something years old, and they said, you're going to bear children. I laughed. <laughs> I'm going to bear children. Yeah, right. I gave up on God. But then out of nowhere one day, I felt a kick. What was that? My stomach began to grow, and I realized that God's promises are true. And if God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And I didn't have the strength. No, listen, at 90 years age, you don't have the strength to give birth. Think about that, ladies. You know what everything that goes on through birth. I remember my first son being born, and I thought, oh, my goodness. And here's a 90-year-old woman. I'm not trying to be descriptive, but understand the birth process. And she's giving birth at 90 years old. And I saw my, 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 my wife, who was 20-something years of age, we had our first one, and she was in pain and, and, uh, and all of it. I won't tell much of it because I want to go home tonight in a happy note. But she was in pain, and she was just, you know, going through the process, and, and man, it was difficult. I saw the relief on her face, and here's a 90-year-old woman. How does a 90-year-old woman have strength to give birth? I'll tell you how, because God empowered her, and there is nothing in your life that you're looking at that you can say, man, it's impossible. Well, that's great, because you serve the God of the impossible. God is able to do abundantly and beyond that which you can think or imagine. He's the God of the impossible. So therefore, let us run the race that is set before us. If you and I serve the God of the impossible, then then he can help us run our race. 
relates. I've tried to get rid of this sin. I try to shake this sin. I, I've just been addicted to the sin and I can't do it. Then I would simply tell you that you can through, God, through the God of the impossible. Let us run the race that is set before us. Here's feeble Sarah in her 90s giving birth because God gave her strength. You may look at your situation. No money, no solution, no answer, but God is a God of the impossible. And now look at verse number 32, and we're going to skip just a little bit here, but look at verse number 32, and look what he says when he closes. Read this with me. Ready? Begin. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in the fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Let's stop right there. You know what he just said? He says, I could bring up another 10 witnesses. <laughs> He's like, but the time would fail me. He says, I can, I can bring them up one by one and they would testify of the faithfulness of God. How there were situations that they just, they didn't think that they could run the race, but God came through. He said, let me tell you about Gideon, who had 300 men and he had to go against 30,000. Let me tell you about an impossible victory of Gideon. He says, let me tell you about David. He says, let me tell you about Samuel. Let me tell you about Joseph, who thought, man, it was over, and his life was over, and I raised him up from the prison. He says, what do you want? In other words, he's saying, what's your excuse tonight for not running the race? Oh, church, what is the thing that has stopped you from serving the Lord? What is the thing that has stopped you from, from doing what God has asked you to do? Well, I'm just not able anymore, Brother Abar. I just don't have the strength to do it anymore. And God would say, let me bring up a few witnesses to declare you can run your race. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with these so great of cloud of witnesses, let us run the race that is set before us. He's simply declaring us tonight to those who have laid aside the race instead of laying aside the weight and the sin. He's saying, get in the race. There's a race for you to run. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask. And probably my favorite of all, not probably my favorite of all, he goes through all these witnesses. If you can think in your mind's eye, we have a, a cloud of witnesses who have testified. And he says, your honor? <laughs> Paul says, your honor? I'd like to bring one final witness to the stand. <laughs> Look what he says. Look at Hebrews 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And here's his last witness. <laughs> Looking unto Jesus. <laughs> Here he comes. <laughs> Nail scarred in his hand, bruised in his side, nails, uh, uh, spear in his side, his feet uh, scarred with the nails, and he stands before you, and he says, listen, I'm the last one to testify that you should run the race. He says, let me tell you, I came to my own, and my own received my, me not. They rejected me. He says, they put nails in my hands. They spit in my face, and I stood it, and I took, that, I took it, and I said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he says, for 30 
33 years on this earth. I gave my life to them and I died. He says, I ran my race. And I would simply say to you, if Sarah doesn't convince you, if Joseph doesn't convince you, if Abraham doesn't convince you, then the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be the one that we say, man, if he can run his race and he can die on the cross, then what race can I run? What excuse can I have to not run the race? Oh, man, if Jesus can finish his race, you say, well, well, it was easy for Jesus. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day, you know. Jesus takes his disciples, and he's getting ready to go to the cross. And Judah come, uh, Judas comes up to him, and he looks at Judas, and he says, whatever you do, do it quickly. And I thought about that. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ who's looking at the cross and he's thinking, ah, I want to get to the end of this. You don't believe me? He's in the garden and he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. You know what we see? We see the humanity of Christ. That as he's going about to go to the cross, he's feeling every inch of his race. He's praying and the blood comes down from his eyes because he is in such torture, intensity. No, the cross was not easy for Christ. He was human, just like you and I. The God-man, Christ Jesus. But he said, I'm gonna run my race because your soul depends on him. If you can't be convinced to run your race through Abraham, through you go through the list, through Noah, then you ought to look at the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you, who gave it all for you, who loves you, who finished his race for you. You ought to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, you know who that joy was? It was you and I. (laughs) For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That word speaks of going through tension, turmoil, endured the cross. What does he say? Despising the shame. Man, I love that phrase. Years ago, I I, I looked at that phrase and and as I looked at it, I thought, what does that mean, despising the shame? Now, we think despising like, like, oh, he hated it, right? We think of despising. But the word despising actually means to think a little of. In other words, he's on the cross, and he's being shamed, but he doesn't make a big deal out of it. He says, this is, this is nothing for what I get in the end, the salvation of your soul. You know why we should run the race more than anything else as we look into Jesus? Because there are people out there who don't know God, who don't know a Savior, who are looking for something that's real, and they're looking at you. You are now the witness that testifies to someone else to run the race. No, listen, Grace Baptist Church, 
There are people in Corona tonight that don't know Jesus as their Savior. Your neighbor is looking at you to run your race. They're watching you when you're ridiculed at work. They're watching you when you go to work. They're watching you how you interact. They're watching your marriage. They're watching it, everything. And they're looking for something that's real. Just like you and I look at David and Daniel and Joseph and all those people who've gone before us. Now you are the witness that stands up and testifies and says, God is able and he was able in my life. And their salvation could depend on it. No, listen, there are those who we cross their paths every single day who watch us to see if you and I can be the witness. And our joy should be the fact that one day they might receive Christ because of their faithfulness. You know, I'm blessed to be in a church for growing up in the church that I grew up in now for 38 years. One of the blessings that I get is I get to see husbands, wives, faithful ministers that have served the Lord for 30 plus years. You know what I look at? Some days I get tired. <laughs> Say, brother, if you're 38, you're not supposed to get tired, I know. But some days I get tired of running my race. But I look over at a man in his 70s, his name is Al Newby. He's been serving the Lord for our church 35 plus years. Gets on the soul winning bus every single Saturday and he goes soul winning. Goes twice a week because he says one time's not enough. I want to go out more soloing. And I think if that man can run his race, I can run my race. What he's saying tonight, Brother Aves, I'm asking you, wherefore? Seeing we also are surrounded, compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race that is set before us, laying aside the weight, laying aside the sin for the joy, the salvation of somebody else, for the joy that is set before us. Ah, it's not enough, Brother Abe's looking unto Jesus, <laughs> the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. I'm simply saying, I'm asking us tonight to consider Christ. The, soul, the old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I testified about it earlier, but, you know, I was, I had gone to see Pastor Fisher. This was right after his surgery, and this was right before his stroke. He said, Brother come on over, and we came on over, and we were chatting, and we were having lemonade together, and, and all of a sudden, Pastor just started speaking weird, started mumbling, and I didn't understand what he was saying, and I said, are you okay, preacher? And he looked at me, and he said, you know, I, uh, this medicine's got me... I said, okay, preacher, you sure you're okay? Yeah, I'm okay. And we talked for a few minutes and began to mumble jumble again. I said, preacher, are you okay? Oh, it's just a medicine. I got in my car and I left there and I called Mrs. Fisher. I said, I don't think preacher's right. And it was an hour later that we found out that he had had a stroke while we were together. And I remember talking and seeing preacher and like I said earlier, unable to even say his name. And I remember sitting in the room the day he came to us and his hand was shaking and he could barely get the words out and he was beginning to lay on his heart that he can't pastor us anymore. It was just some of the staff men in the room, some of our trustees, and our heart was broken. You look at a situation like that and I think, man, at 40 years of ministry and, you know, if anyone has the right to say, I'm obviously done, <laughs> he did. But then now to see God use him like he did this week.
Say, I'm not done. He stutters, his hand shakes, but he's not gonna allow that to stop him from running his race. And as a young man, a young preacher, I look at a man who's now been 40 plus years in the ministry, and I think if he can run his race, then I can run my race. What excuse has taken you off the race course? Can I simply say, would you look unto Jesus? And may he be your energy, your reason for running your race. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed.